Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Please mm. relish the chance to uh, fuck everybody up by doing it while we're recording. But Zencaster started undercutting me because now it gives you a countdown. So it's like, oh, I can shut up. I have three seconds to shut up. It, honestly, usually it doesn't sound. help. It doesn't save us often. At least it doesn't save me off. Every but... single time. You're like, oh, we got the countdown. We got to shut up. Anyway. I hate when I'm is... in the middle of saying my social security number and you right now. unfortunately start recording the podcast. <laughs> anyway, continue. Oh, God. This is not a podcast about social security numbers. This is a podcast about movies we saw at the trial on cinema or uh, people we met through there. This uh, My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find us on Twitter at Trial of Podcast. You can find the trial on at Trial on Cinema and at trialon.org where you can get tickets and showings and a lot of other cool information about goings on at the Trilon. Uh, check it out at trilon.org. For right now, I'm Jason Daphnis. Um, I think these ribs rule, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Wow. I think that's the first time you ever nabbed my line. That's amazing. Uh, I'm Cody Narvison. Most sixth graders can stay out later than I can, and you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry Mackin, and I'm only fooling myself with this display of indifference, and you can find me on Twitter at Harry. And I'm Aaron, and uh, this is my post, I Can't Just Split, and then an axe goes through my head mm-hmm. as a visual sure. audio medium. But yes, you can find me on Twitter, at RBPlease. Uh, and we are very pleased to be uh, joined today by a very special guest, Audrey Collerstrom, uh, joining us, a movie lover, writer, uh, friend of the Trilon. How would you describe yourself, Audrey? Um, yeah, a uh, f- uh, film critic. Um, movie goer. I grew up a block from the Riverview. Um, the Riverview is, of course, in close proximity to the Trilon as well. So I've been going to the Trilon since they opened. And um, that's just, I mean, I find my crew and I say, we're going to go see this movie. And they'll be like, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> You're a awesome. leader, uh, a leader among yep. men. Um, uh, tell me, what is your most memorable Trilon experience? Um... I have to say that it is when I took my mom to see Annie Hall. And I know that, like, grand scheme of things, we shouldn't, like, be blowing him anymore about how great he is. But that is a great film. Mm -hmm. And my mom is just sitting. She talks in the theater. Like, toddlers and baby boomers, like, talk (laughs) in the theater. And um, so my daughter talks and my mom talks. And she's just talking about how great this is. Like, oh, that's Marshall McLuhan. I'm like, yeah, everybody knows that. And kind of giving me, so it was just it was a bonding experience. She knew that I love the movie. I used to have it on VHS and I used to watch a little snippet it, snippets like before school every day, my first year of college. Um, so yeah, getting to, getting to take my mom there, I would have to say is probably my favorite. And then second, coming in second is probably the trash film about the cat that throws up another cat. It's called The Uninvited, and it's just got horrendous special effects, but um, <laughs> it's it's a cat that throws up another cat. And... <laughs> what a surprisingly oh. subtle title 
uh, that is for that movie. You would think <laughs> it would be like a pun about hairball or something, but just the uninvited is so mysterious. And it is a horror movie that like came out in 2006 because that's, I don't, it really confuses me when they keep naming movies that already have a title of that movie, like <laughs> Sisters. There's yeah. a party <laughs> movie called Sisters. You couldn't call it like Leah and Laura or something. It's a good point. Uh, only at the Trilon can we get cats throwing up each other and uh, and Cherry Falls, which is the movie we're going to be discussing yes. today on the podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> One, well, I should say, uh, to former Trilove guest and Trilon volunteer, Kelly Kranz, for connecting us. Uh, we would not have this very special guest without uh, her invitation. So uh, you are the invited on this episode, Audrey, and we're really <laughs> glad to have you in. Um, looking forward to your thoughts. I need to let Aaron do his thing before we uh, go any further. So Aaron, hit it. Yeah, we're talking about Cherry Falls. Uh, is a film from the year 2000, uh, directed by Jeffrey Wright, uh, set in the, I think, kind of humorously named town of Cherry Falls. The film follows high schooler Jody Market. Oh, I just the, got it. I just got it, you guys. Oh, that's funny. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. Played by the late, uh, great Brittany Murphy, as she, along with uh, the rest of the members of her high school in town, uh, are shocked to learn about a serial killer terrorizing the town uh, and targeting uh, specifically teenage virgins uh, with the entire town in a panic. Uh, the high schoolers conspire to throw this kind of massive sex orgy party. I guess I could have said orgy party uh, uh, to try and stay safe. I mean, if we're, um, if we're splitting hairs here, you could have just said orgy. I, just like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, not every orgy is a party. Massive? Yeah. yeah, not you every know? orgy is a party and not every right. orgy party is massive. Some orgies are yeah. business functions. You guys are you know? some lame corporatized orgies. Yeah, that's that's whenever, true. Whenever we go to Runyon's, it's like a wings orgy party with the <laughs> fellas, right? <laughs> Jay Moore uh, plays Jody's uh, favorite teacher. Uh, Leonard Marliston teaches uh, English literature. Uh, Gabriel Mann plays Jody's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Kenny. And Michael Bean uh, plays Jody's father and town sheriff, Brent Markin. Uh, the film followed in the wake of many uh, teen slasher films. Uh, Scream, probably the biggest example. Um, it also continues the tradition of having many kind of elements of slight satire and parody kind of mixed in with this kind of more serious tone. Um, before release, however, the film was uh, rejected many times by the MPAA. Um, and that kind of tied in with concerns from various parties related to the film's uh, distribution company meant that the film never actually got a theatrical release. Uh, funnily, funnily enough, though, uh, there was not actually... Too much. There's a lot of bad stuff in the film, but there's not that would put it over that line. Uh, I think a few a few articles kind of written about this argued that like, hey, Columbine was the year before this, right? And so maybe this made it kind of a a riskier film to put in theaters with that kind of recently happening. Uh, but instead, this went straight to television, where it was, and I think still to this day is the most expensive TV movie ever made, with a budget of fourteen million dollars. Holy uh, Jesus Christ! See. I know, right? Wait a minute. Did not see. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Million. I mean, it was, you know, it was going to be a money, gonna be a this money laundering. What was the it all, Jay Moore? Went, it was it all supposed to be Jay in the Moore's, theater. Yeah. Okay. Severed hand at the end. That was a $13.9 million dollar hand. Big name. Brittany uh, Murphy's Mary Janes and her clogs, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a really good point. Yep. That's true. She's big name for a while. I mean, she was in Happy Feet. You know, what can you later on, <laughs> I guess, in Happy Feet. But uh, yeah, the last thing is that, yeah, the, the film didn't see like a large amount of success, mostly due to what we just talked about. Um, and it, I, I, it hasn't become what I would say is like a large classic, but I think over the years it has slowly begun to kind of become more appreciated. Um, so yeah, Audrey, thank you for kind of joining to talk about this is an interesting one. We've talked in the past how we, we don't actually 
talk about that much horror apart from like the horrorthon that they do every year, the Trilon. So we're happy to have you on here. I guess, do you mind kind of giving your connection with the film, your thoughts, kind of all um, of that? I, I, I've seen a lot of horror. And so like I was telling a, a couple of you outside the Trilon, um, Kitty Corner from the Riverview Theater used to be a video rental store. And my mom said, oh, let those two kids rent whatever they wanted. And so I watched every age inappropriate thing except for what was behind the curtain in the back um and uh so i'd already seen like nightmare on elm street and carrie and the exorcist and a bunch of those by the time i was like 15 16 and so i kind of already knew so like and but it was also around that same time that i saw scream and that I was just like, I was so thrilled because it just, it felt like it was, it was made for me and I just loved everything about it. And I still do. Um, and so, and then, you know, and then you go backwards, right? So you're like, okay, what kind of other horror would I like? Would I, I'm going to watch something from the seventies and, you know, watch the, the stuff from the eighties, you know, Friday the 13th, which I think is terrible. Um, <laughs> <It> is. <laughs> <laughs> but then like, so I, you know, it's if Cherry Falls comes out, you know, three or four years after Scream, they're probably thinking like, oh, this is going to make big money because, you know, she's in, she was in Clueless and people know she is. And I'm just, I'm kind of curious, is it, was it really like the subject matter and just teens getting slaughtered in the Columbine timing? That is very interesting mm -hmm. to me because it's so, I don't even think there's, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I have four men on the line. I don't think there's any boobs in this movie. There's um, a lot of bra boobs, but bra not naked. There's some bra boobs. You might maybe in like, maybe in like some smear frames in that orgy scene, maybe, maybe. Yeah. but like not not, not, not waited a focus, upon. Not though. Not, certainly that. not any dong. Yeah. Yes. I, no. Yes. Right. I didn't Could see a single more. nip. I didn't see a single nip. I didn't I see a silhouette of a nip. It, everybody was doing the underwear sex, right? The movie underwear Everybody's, sex. Everybody's doing the middle music video, the Jimmy yes. World thing, where he's walking through the party and they're in the fridge and whatnot. That's yeah. basically the end. Actually, is that is that inspired by this movie? Probably. Let me do some Googling. Please continue talking while yeah. I Google the middle music video. I also have a question. Is this filmed in Canada? Because everything about the setting is like, that is not America. That yeah. is not. <laughs> we don't live that close to nature. No, we do not. That is a really big building. That is looks like it's modern. It wasn't built during the time of any riots. It yeah. apparently like it was filmed in Richmond, Virginia. Virginia, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that's not, not really the U.S. All. Yeah, no, oh, I didn't really think count. that. It was like completely like, oh, they're doing Twin Peaks, where this is like some small Washington town up north, right? Mm -hmm. Like kind of what I took um, so, Audrey, you were like the ideal audience for this then when you first saw it, having like just sought out so many different versions of horror. And this is like one of those subversions types that got popular in the early mid 2000s. Then were you did you feel like you were teed up for it by the time you ended up seeing it? I, you know, I don't remember like it having a lot of press or anticipation, but I think that I just liked Brittany Murphy. So see, she just drew uh, me in. I think that, you know, obviously, well. Up until when she up, up until she died, she was doing like rom coms and stuff. But she was choosing a lot of interesting things, like when yeah. she was in Freeway. Mm -hmm. um, and there's probably some some even some more examples in there. Um, but I thought it was I I I hadn't watched it probably since it came out. Um, 
I do remember it being pretty horny. Um, the scene, and I was just thinking about this. There, there's a scene where Michael Bean is her dad and he's trying to teach her how to defend herself. Yes. And all what? of a sudden, whoopsie do, they end up horizontal. Ugh. And I think that's so funny because I'm an extremely clumsy person and I have never randomly like landed <laughs> yeah, on top of somebody <laughs> perfectly horizontal. Let yeah, alone like a child, your, your child, right? No matter yes. how, what, like you would be particularly, I don't know, careful yeah. about that because you know yeah. that it's weird. I think it's that's like- a very important scene to start with, right? I think, yes. so I think it makes a lot of sense because it really signals a sea change for, for what you expect. And it signals what I believe to be sort of what this movie is all about, which is the intense, subversive and uncomfortable sexual chemistry that Brittany Murphy has with every character in this film, including oh, yeah. as a major plot point, her own father mm-hmm. uh, in many, many scenes of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. That is the sort of horniness that we are talking about mm-hmm. when we talk about this movie, right? There mm-hmm. is something almost genuinely interesting about the fact that they exult in being as interested in being sort of like quasi subversive as they are being in this movie, because the, the horniness is like really something to behold. Weird. Yeah. It's weird. This is a little freak of a movie. That scene specifically is like the kind of thing they would put in like blockbuster films, like five to 10 years ago when they needed Mm -hmm. like completely sexless film, but we need a little bit of horniness. You know what I mean? And it's like that one scene is like the kind of thing they put in like a Star Trek movie or something just to get just a little bit of horniness injected. But it's like, it's so weird that it's her dad. Like, but that is, yeah. I think, kind of the thing going They're, on with this movie, it, right? It definitely is. Like, they signify it in a lot of different ways. And one of the like, one of the ways that I think got most people at the theater, at least for our showing, laughing was when she, <laughs> Michael Bean leaves in the middle of the night to go like respond to a call for. I think it's one of the first murders, right? Mm-hmm. And she opens up the blinds in like this sort of stupor, oh, yeah. and she says, "And I need everybody's complete silence on this." She says yeah. this in this voice. Daddy. What the fuck? <laughs> Who does oh, that? Oh, it's really, really some. Well, Folks, like, if you're listening at home, that's just Jason doing that. That's, <laughs> he just does that with his voice. And of course, the the next scene, the next scene that she has with her father, I believe the very next scene after that uh, judo moment that they have together, uh, he goes up into her room after the second murder and while holding her hand, very gently asks her, First, I believe, quote, what base she has gotten to with her boyfriend, now ex-boyfriend. And then if she can go further, he, that's how he phrases it. He says, can you go further? Uh, and it's, it's um, at, at this point, he is trying to, quote unquote, protect her and is afraid for her life because he's trying to ascertain if she's a virgin. The implications of this scene and, and how he could, quote unquote, protect his daughter at this point, especially a daughter who continuously calls her dad, calls him daddy, and who he is introduced as being a character who is hyper protective of her to the point where, as Cody quoted, most sixth graders can go out later than she can. <laughs> um, there's a lot happening here. Uh, quite a lot, I would say. Um, is that is that accurate? I guess to everyone else's readings of this movie thus far. Yeah, I, I don't really want to take yeah. the mic too much, but it is it is almost madcap in how like muddled and strange it can sometimes be. Like, I think in retrospect, this movie benefits from that nonsense because I can like it's much more memorable as a mess. In the moment, it's just like you're being constantly 
pelted Lombarged. with yeah so many different things like oh there's this generational Lombarged. aspect that we're not considering there's this uh you know like the puritanical conservatism of you know uh precious virginity and all that kind of stuff like all those things are going at once and at the same time we're just plowing through the plot it's like in the first 15 minutes the main character <laughs> is already plot, in- huh? oh lord <sighs> In the first 15 minutes, the uh, the main character is already, like, in notable danger of the main, like, enemy. I, I don't know. It's it's so much all at once that it was hard in the moment to parse any of it. Yeah, it definitely feels like the intersection of a lot of things, and it tapped into something that I'm still having trouble, like, putting a, a, a word or a couple of words to, but I was definitely – I had had no track record with this movie uh, ahead of like last week when I watched it. But like the things that sort of hit me right away are, okay, this is a movie from the year 2000. It does feel like a movie that came out in 2000 because of Brittany Murphy, um, because of uh, Jesse Bradford, who is, yeah. uh, I, th- I think the first victims we saw who, um, I don't know if it's Nickelodeon's clock stoppers, but he was in clock stoppers. And <laughs> which was really- is he the guy who, who says he's an alien? Uh, yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yeah. He's a wild way to that's a right. that's oh, it's a, such a weird good maneuver for that. I don't it's know. so good, man. Because like, it, yeah. yeah, it it that's very good at characterizing what this movie is going to be. But please continue, Cody. No, for sure. Uh, he's also the guy who uh, stops clocks in the movie Clock Stoppers. Uh-huh. Um, oh yeah. But, him. Uh, Ga- uh, Gabriel Mann, who, uh, Kenny, right? He's, he's in the Josie and the Pussycats movie, yes. which also feels very much of a time and place. Um, Jay Moore, who <laughs> I don't give a shit about, but my understanding is he was working, uh, a lot at this time. This after uh, Jerry uh, Maguire, yeah. Yeah, uh, Saturday Night Live, I think, um, also, right? I hope I'm not misremembering, or I don't care if I'm misremembering. Um, like, a character actor DJ Qualls is, uh, like, a thankless character, like, semi-background character in this movie, and so, like, all of those juxtaposed against the weird, not weird, but, like, actually pretty great, like, late 90s, early 2000s uh, obsession with, like, high school movies. Um, the only one I can think of offhand is 10 Things I Hate About You, but the sort of, like, smattering of emotions and and hormones and also like not for nothing. And this is probably the thing I'm least uh, like confident in, but I can't help but feel like there is a sort of like w- a Pulp Fiction came out half a decade ago and we're still trying to like yeah. riff on that. Some Like these high school students are just riffing. I mean, everybody's riffing, but these high school students especially are just like dropping one liners, snappy, fast dialogue. And it creates this like literally unbelievable um, like school environment and also just town yeah. for uh, any sort of rational story to take place. And so I think, I mean, what everybody's getting at, I think is essentially correct that it's like, I mean, hard to wrap a neat little bow on like what, what cherry falls is maybe that is what made it so hard to market and release, or maybe it was just uh, the fact that the final orgy scene was filmed with the cast in the nude and they had to avoid a rated X rating um, in order to finally, uh, and edit a lot of that out in order that. for it to get released. It could be, you know, a little column A, little column B. Um, yeah. But um, that's just me. I think that Audrey gave me a real sort of keystone in understanding this when she described it as a post-screen movie, because that makes so much sense to me, that this is like coming out of that era of sort of like, um, wait, was it? It was post-Scream, right? Scream mm-hmm. came out? Yeah. Okay. 96. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, just that that sort of like, 
Pulp Fiction is another great keystone of this sort of like hyper modern, hyper self aware for the standards of that era, where like all of these characters behave and speak as if they are characters who know that they are in a movie at all times, uh, which I kind of like. I really like that um, the director promised, quote, an intelligent script full of irony, unquote. It's like, well, your mileage may vary, but that is not what this is not, right? Like, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, I so I I really like that reading of it and I wonder also there's this really interesting intersection of of discomfort that this movie generates that maybe and I can't speculate but like maybe the reason why this was so uncomfortable for uh distribution and everything is that I feel that this movie engages with a lot of like almost absurdly dark subject matter for how it like sets itself up. Like I really didn't think that, and we can put a content warning on this, but like that a movie that was this gung ho and this sort of like comedic about teen sex was going to get into rape as heavily Mm -hmm. as this movie does. Mm -hmm. And these sort of intergenerational traumas generated by sexual assault and how those things can come to define communities and define people's lives and how the sins of the father can be revisited on children that is like some really hardcore grotesque subject matter for a movie that sets itself up the way this movie does Mm -hmm. to deal with and i think that the static that's generated is weirdly intentional right like i i really don't think that this movie is doing anything accidentally i i think i have more faith in it than that but to my to my point of view anyway it it ended up creating this movie that was like legitimately uncomfortable and subversive in a way that I don't think a lot of movies especially a lot of 2000s movies uh ever did I mean like and maybe that you know I don't want to be too sort of macro historical but like the fact that this came out a year before 9/11 I think that like this movie would be very different if it came out after 9/11 do you know what i mean just that sort of like the 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 willingness to explore like child sexuality on film in this way uh and to sort of like think through that is something that i don't think i saw a lot of growing up post 9/11 right mm-hmm. just because like mm-hmm. It's sort of that that censorship coincided with like a general social conservatism that would never sort of like really untighten, which is why you get artifacts like this that are sort of like this is like this is the sort of movie I would have expected to have come out either in the 1970s or like maybe three years ago. Yeah. 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 But never between like the 1980s to the 2000s when like general social conservatism was on the rise. So it's, it's a really fascinating movie in that way. But at I the do- same time, like, nobody has, um, I mean, like, the others, the orgy and stuff, but the lead, the girl doesn't, she's still chased yeah. by the end of the movie. Yeah. You know, everything is very much implied. I mean, mm-hmm. even I, even at the time, like, ugh, this is going to get vulgar, but even at the time, <laughs> remember, like, Buffy, like, you can, the actors, you know, they do that, like, big gasp when they're, like, you know, it's a scene where they're getting penetrated. Like, there's nothing like that in this film. No. Right. No, it's not that overt. And in fact, that is even sort of a part of the text of this movie. Like one thing that I think this movie does that's really smart and kind of funny is that 
everyone talks such a big game about sex in the first act. <laughs> yes. And then when we get to the orgy, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And like they're they're like slow dancing and mm-hmm. having sex clothed <laughs> and like it, it's really a great dance. like emperor has no clothes situation which it felt to me like really resonant of like a high school experience of like well, everybody like is recording scenarios quite a bit different than mine harry well, i don't know what fair. to tell you i'm yeah, slow dancing all <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean the the thing like about this and this this is maybe going to be I, I guess what you called kind of macro historical maybe as well but like when i when i think of a lot of the films that were that were inspired no sorry inspired this film or at least feels like it did right i know what you did last summer scream mm-hmm. um those films are often very much about sex uh, but not about sexuality, where this feels like it is about sexuality, but not about sex, right? Like the the mm. thing that is happening with the town of Cherry Falls uh, is very much like uh, uh, positive and negative sexuality completely under the surface, completely smothered, right? And only kind of, it, it kind of brief moments kind of bubbling up to the surface, right? Which is why you get very weird scenes between uh, uh, Jody and her father, right? Um, It's why you get kind of a lot of the talk of sexuality without any actual sex happening. Um, Whereas I think that if you look at something like Scream, those are movies about sex. They are about sex being punished. Uh, For example, I mean, there's kind of the joke about, hey, you have sex in a movie like this and you die. Right. Um, But they're not really about sexuality. Um, You know, they're often having elements of sex, especially visual elements, uh, often is a treat for the audience, but then kind of punishing the characters for that. Um, and this feels like it's it's not really giving you any of that kind of like mm. actual enjoyable sexual element to watch. It is more mm. like about the psychology of it. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think a, a pretty interesting way. Yeah. yeah Except I, for Brittany Murphy getting her a big toe bit. I think that is very... I mean, no, I, that seems well, wild. Yeah. Also, she asks for him to... <laughs> Bite it. Not She's like, like harder, harder. Like, and yeah. that's, yes. that's the thing, right? Like she is. I think like like I think she she is into that, right? And that's yeah. like another surprising yeah. thing. Where it's like, and, and like, like her character right. is transformed in that scene. She's yes. like a completely different character in just that scene. And like, there's a good plot reason for it, but it is funny. Yeah. Uh, I did want like uh, Audrey, what you said about the fact that Jody by the end is still chased, like she still hasn't consummated, she still hasn't like betrayed that concept of like conservative virginity. Uh, I, I wonder if there is, like Harry was saying, sort of a pointedness to that, and like marrying and what Aaron was saying about, uh, you know, what shows and what it doesn't. Um, like in a in a very traditional sense, she is still like she's still literally a virgin. She still hasn't had sex by the end of the movie, but she has been abused and tormented physically and mentally in ways that like cannot like beyond consideration. Like she's been horny with her dad. She's been really uh, uh, I don't know about horny, but at least crushing on somebody who may be her brother in the end. And she finds out near the end that like maybe I'm related to this person. I'm. I'm of a mind to say that like that is intentional in this movie where uh, like in it that it's the movie is saying that by by trying to remove the quote unquote like the whole uh, mission statement of the movie is like a subversive take on removing the power of like that conservative view of virginity that sort of purity and all those pointing things out that are hypocrisies is right, really out, the through line 
Right. Well, that that again is, is what I'm saying. Where like, if we're trying to establish that, uh, you know, virginity is something that's in, you know, uh, in a in a religiously dominated culture. If that's something that is um, like overvalued, if that's something that is like too heavily protected, et cetera, et cetera, that you know, it's removing decision making and consent from the process. That all that kind of thing. If we're saying that, then is the fact that she is like the only thing maybe she has left, the only form of innocence that she has left is literally this uh, virginity. Why? Like what then like where where does that I don't know if that's like the statement that a movie's trying to get us to. I don't know if there's like an endpoint, but I think it's putting those pieces together to say, hey, consider that in any other movie you would be looking for this as a sign of like what she's still got left, her like personhood, whatever. Uh, and in this movie it's like, well, it's not worth a whole lot if she's been like really tormented in so many other ways throughout the movie. I, and her trust is betrayed too with her, right. with her parents. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. No, I two things. One, I think that's sort of the ways in which um, this movie decides that, um, that Jody should be a tormented character. And I was uh, commenting to yeah, Harry and I were at the trial on last night and I brought up the, the sort of, you know, for a lot of the movie, it feels like it would be smarter for it to lean on, the ridiculous like premise when you say it out loud like these these teenagers need to fuck in order to survive like that is a dark comedy ass and very clearly like the first thing that they said the elevator pitch like if you had 10 seconds to pitch this movie it's like uh uh serial killer killing virgins everybody at the high school has to fuck right away in order to (laughs) survive right yeah and this this could have been that movie obviously it goes in a different direction it gets into that that heavy shit that we're that we're talking about um uh, adding in you know motifs like consent and and assault and rape and like so you know uh, obviously leaning on the more comedic elements probably you know uh, a a a completely different picture that would make. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I don't have, don't really have anything to add like that other than the writing was on the wall and the movie, you know, is what it was. And perhaps that mm-hmm. made it so, I mean, so difficult to be seen um, and talked about uh, except in the year 2022 when it's on a, a, a famous um, world renowned podcast. Uh, the other <laughs> thing I did, did want to float out there. Um, I, I got really excited about it because I finally had an opportunity kind of like in the raising Arizona episode where I asked, did Sam McMurray really throw um, like those, those candies up into his mouth was uh, what's, what's his name? Was Gabriel man really sucking on her toes? Yes. Has to be. Oh yeah. Had yeah. To be. No simulation. Oh my God. She's like purring. <laughs> That's a, so Okay, all that, yes. First, are yes. You insinuating that they, are you insinuating Come that they on. used a body double, like, for the reverse or shots? A either a body double or, or a fake leg, because they're not in the same shot that. when he has toes in his mouth. <laughs> Brittany Murphy's oh, face, it, body, torso are not in that shot. Really and was just like, they on this one. That, that, is that, is that is the hugest bet I've ever seen. Yes. Yeah. yeah, correct. Knowing what I know about Jeffrey Wright, which, um, you know, is admittedly nothing. Uh, I'm sure given the resources they had, which were not a lot, presumably. <laughs> he was like, yeah, those, to- those toes are going in your mouth, Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to float that out there. Um, <laughs> we can get it viral, get it trending. I just wa- I wanted everybody to be thinking about that just a little bit longer. In my memory, I get it confused with um, Six Feet Under, where uh, Claire like sucks on Eric Balfour's toes, and then he talks mm-hmm. about her around school, and then she leaves a severed foot in his locker. I think that's like the first oh. episode. Nice. 
But in my, I'm, in my head, I'm just like, these are like the little seeds getting planted. I'm like, is feed stuff cool? Maybe early 2000s was like... Uh, you know, big, it's it's but, really exciting because usually I'm the guy oh who has to bring the feed stuff. And this time Cody <laughs> did it for me. So thank you, Cody. Um, yeah, I uh, sort of, I have a question too about this because this was something that I didn't, I couldn't quite figure out. And I, I sort of have, I'm of two minds about this movie and particularly its ending, sort of um, going off of what Jason said, where there are sort of, my most generous reading of this movie, right, is that um, it's it's almost a counter-sexual movie versus traditional horror movies in that it that it is about sort of lampooning the idea of this virginal both people and town, right? Like that this town, the Cherry Falls, and the sort of idyllic, a uh, safe small community with the sheriff who cares about his daughter and, and keeps everybody safe that that is a lie that it's built on mm-hmm. a history of lying and that in fact because these kids are the products the offspring literally of this lie they themselves are not the people they think they are they're actually this other person and the sort of like the trauma and the strife and the tension between what they believe themselves to be or what they want to be and what they are is generating this sort of repressed undercurrent of violence and hate that manifests itself in the form of this serial killer who takes down virgins because the fact that there are virgins in this town is hypocritical to him, right? Because that is how he can hurt the people that have lied to him is by destroying these virgins. That's what he says is that like, that is how he is bringing their sort of lies into the light. That's my generous reading, right, of this movie. But there's that ending, right, which I read as, like, things are going to go on the same. They're going to continue to protect this lie because – but also she uses the judo flip move that her dad taught her (laughs) to kill the serial killer. And there is some sense in which the dad is supposed to be a redeemed character or have redeeming features within this film, right? And I don't want to read it that way. I don't don't know that movie. But, like, the dad, first of all, he dies. He sacrifices himself essentially for his daughter. Oh, he gets axed. His daughter seems to continue to find him. I don't. Maybe the point is that she doesn't learn the lesson that we're supposed to learn from this movie, right? And that's why we get the final shot. I mean, I I hope so. I don't think so. I don't think that this movie is saying actually read backwards what we were telling you forwards to get to like this understanding of what she's learned. But I don't think it's. I don't think it's there. I think it is really saying like, oh, the dad is sort of like at least a character to be protected by the end where they're like going to keep his secret about him participating See, because, like, in the rape I, 40 years maybe ago. Maybe it's just because like you said, maybe it's, I'm hoping it too much, but I really read that like by the end of this movie, we are supposed to read Jody's choice at the end of this movie to be the incorrect choice. Like we are yeah. supposed to read it as the thing that perpetuates the cycle that will continue to create these killers <laughs> because mm-hmm. the lie lives on, right? Like the lie that, that, this rape didn't occur, this lie that that the football star was the football star, that he's a good person that became the sheriff, and that therefore all of the sort of morality that we equate to his character and the principal is hidden and therefore protected, and it will continue to create this strife. Right. And so this becomes sort of an anti repression movie, which then you can you can extrapolate outward to like, oh, like pretending you don't have these sexual feelings, pretending that virginity is something that is sort of like to be um, idealized and that that having sex is bad and gross. That is doing the same thing that these people are doing when they sort of like refuse to acknowledge the traumas that founded this town. Right. Um, But like I said, it's like I think that 
and maybe this is the point, right? Maybe there is supposed to be tension at the heart of this movie about this, but like either reading leaves something to be desired in some ways, right? Yeah. Where like, if that is the reading, then, then why did, why were we so sort of weirdly sympathetic for the dad? And if it's not the reading, then why is there such a tense ending? I guess. What do you guys I, think? I, I, I definitely read the ending of this as very pessimistic. Right. Uh, I, I kind of, I would need to hear quite an argument against that. I think I don't. I don't even view the dad as that sympathetic. Like I don't know, he shouldn't have gotten the axe through the skull or whatever, right? But um, yeah, I. I mean, the final shot of this is a waterfall of blood. You know, like, yeah, Twin Peaks ass waterfall with some. I just some bad red somebody CGI. on a big, uh, big desktop, like coloring in all the red. <laughs> it really does look like that. Yeah, I. I didn't want to bring it up, but like, I thought Harry was going to break up Twin Peaks during his uh, his last. No, I mean, I thought for so obvious, sure. right? Like it's, it's like so obvious. obvious. Yeah. The regular hosts. We, we talk enough about Twin Peaks on this, but yeah. we don't gotta. We don't gotta do that. But yeah, I, I mean, I think they're trying to do Twin Peaks. Like exactly. Yes. I think I think the idea here is that yes, those that that the truth is getting repressed once again. Which by doing that, right, uh, the 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 mother who is very clearly still out there at the end. I mean, maybe that's some sort of weird psychological freak out. But I think we are supposed to believe that the the shot of the the woman standing behind the school bus is the mother. She is still alive. She will potentially continue to either, you know, continue doing what she's doing or will potentially kind of murder in the future. If this film gets enough money and they make a sequel to it. Right. Um, I think that the idea is like very pessimistic. It is very much about like, this is once more under the covers and it will kind of keep continuing into the future. Yeah. Um, Audrey, any thoughts about, I guess, all that, the big ball we've just constructed about, like, is that ending subversive? Is well, where, What are they going for? No, I think that all of that sounds great. I think when people were laughing during the screening, you know, sometimes, like, my feelings get a little hurt because I'm like, no, this is good. Like, this is, this is a good, this is yeah. a good movie. Like, yeah. the laughs are, like, the, the, like, this isn't, this isn't poorly made. Like, you know, Brittany Murphy is freaking selling it. Jay Moore, she's, who we all know is trash, is selling it. Um, there's and um, but like all of this like subtext, like my dumb dumb brain is like, oh look, it's blood, and oh look, he's got a wig on. That wig is funny. So I guess I didn't yeah. quite scrape a little further than that. One thing that was just occurring yeah. to me right now about the daddy daughter relationship. It felt like a camped up sexier version of Reese Witherspoon and her dad in fear where he's like kind of has that like, don't date my daughter, you know, like really kind of wants to keep her under wraps and wants to kind of almost keep her for himself in like a protective way. One thing that what this movie does is that I don't think you ever see a scene where it's her mom and her dad and they're talking to each other. That is I thought they were divorced, yeah. like throughout. Yeah, the it's movie. it's it's very like so her mom has one yeah. face, and and she's talking to her daughter, and then it's there in another room. But it's it's like, but they they seem to live in the same house. But it's just like I don't even see them as a as a couple. They're very and, and much like, yeah. Right. It turns out that their union, even like the the biggest part of it is to protect this lie. Right. Yep. Where like she's yep. this alcoholic and like they were together. I believe they were together and she found out or knew about this lie that he told that he that like this this woman was raped by he and his friends. And 
it's like very implied that like oh like we're still together to sort of like protect this as a union but like our marriage is loveless right Mm -hmm. and what i really like about what you said is that like i i found it so explicit that they were doing the protective father thing without any of the pretense right because like the the joke people make almost or the sort of derisive joke that they make about dads who are very overprotective of their daughters is that there is a gross sexual element to that right that they are like you said keeping them for themselves or like they get obsessed with their daughter's sexualities and they need to sort of like safeguard that and like that safeguarding process it in this movie it becomes sort of symbolically paralleled to the lie that they're protecting about the virginal town that hasn't had bad things happen that wasn't founded by terrible history um but it it is so funny that this this movie does it so straight up where it's just like it is basically text that this dad is romantically interested in his daughter from like the first or second scene that he's in. And I think that that's a really great sort of um, like demonstration of what this movie is really all about is that like, you're, you're right, right? Like it is so intentionally made that like, you can't ignore that static. Like it, it really is textual in a way that like even other movies like fear don't do as explicitly because Mm -hmm. they don't have the groundwork uh, Mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. And then you have Brittany Murphy who has like, she's got just like milky white eyes and she just looks like a doll. Like she's yeah. just got that pouty mouth and she's just, she just looks like just a, like a little doll with little yeah. black hair. It's uh, This is, maybe this is weird, but like it is a weirdly perfect Brittany Murphy because I feel like she did the sort of like precocious sexuality Hollywood thing quite a lot. Like maybe mm-hmm. not, not like. I'm not blaming her. I may be blaming the studios that put her in movies, but like, I feel like constantly the thing was supposed to be like, she is like a little bit Lolita ish Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. sense that like, she is young, but she knows a ton about sex and she's sort of like a sexy person. And Mm -hmm. like, they play with that really, really like explicitly in this movie. Mm -hmm. And her voice too. So I was just like, this is like the once a year that I remember like, Oh yeah, she's Luann on King of the Hill. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Oh, but and yes, like the 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 casting, I mean, it, it is I've taken kind of taking a look at Hollywood at a larger level. It is kind of the unfortunate thing that happens to a lot of like child stars, right, where they they start getting cast and stuff very, very young. And then that kind of gets exploited as they get older. I think this film was doing it very intentionally, uh, so I can't can't knock it for that. But yes, yeah, she is. I mean, she is excellent in this movie. Like she is quite perfect in this movie and even taken larger. I mean, part of uh, what I guess both Audrey and Harry were talking about is that, like there is, you know, um, this is a very intelligent movie and you kind of don't even need to read it subtextually. It's kind of just the oh, text yeah. of the movie. And what kind of helps that is that like, I do think that like structurally uh, this movie is like, I think very well made and paced. And like Jason, you talked earlier about like, we, we get right into it, right? Which is a thing that a lot of horror movies do, but a lot of horror movies get into it and then kind of lull a little bit in the middle, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I think that this movie gets into it. 25 minutes later, she's getting chased through, you know, the hallways of high school uh, by, you know, an axe murderer, like, or I guess at that point, a knife murderer. Um, but it, it it's like very well paced and constructed, like, I think surprisingly so, it feels. I, yeah, I would Good agree. Twist, I, too. 
Yeah, well, that's what yes. I was going to bring up was like the whole mystery. Like, yes, it's a horror movie. Yes, it's a comedy. It's also like a mystery movie, right? Like we don't know a whole lot about why or like, I mean, we see the dad being pretty tight lipped a few times about like, oh, he probably knows something or maybe he's the murderer. I think they were throwing a few red herrings to say like, is he the murderer? Is, you know, like when she, when he absconds in the middle of the night and she says uh, the iconic line. I wasn't sure. Maybe she that was implicating like, oh, we as the audience need to know that he's leaving or that his car is leaving or something. But uh, I think that what Aaron's saying about the pace or excuse me, the fact that the structure works well and that like things, the action can happen and we still have something to chew on for the remaining like 70 minutes is because like that central uh, mystery is like held on to so long. I won't call it Hitchcockian, but it very much is like there is a sort of thriller mystery sort of happening concurrently there. To the point where, in my opinion, there are multiple characters who exist to be red herrings. Like I think the sheriff's deputy, the, Mm -hmm. the woman sheriff's deputy who, who like, uh, becomes the bodyguard to Brittany Murphy's character. Like I, I was fully convinced for like the second, the first half of the second act that she was the murderer because I yes. thought it, they were going to do like a classic, like, Oh, it was the oh, person who was going to protect yeah. you thing. Like also there's the, there is the, um, the, the guy I referenced in my opening quote that like is, is weirdly into the killer and like the gossip and everything. And so like, there are all of these different sort of like very classic Scooby-Doo like red herrings that they throw out that you're supposed to be sort of following so that when you get to the place where the obvious thing, in my opinion, happens where the, it was the teacher all along, it doesn't feel obvious anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hmm. that that's another really good demonstration of the intelligence of this movie is that I think the reason why it feels like it goes so fast is because like you were saying, Aaron, it knows how to leverage the existing groundwork that other like genre work has done to get us here. Right. Like we talked about twin peaks already, but like the fact that the, institutions are the liars that are setting in in course the of in motion the the events that are going to lead to these murders is like it's both very important to the movie and it's something that we don't even really need to gesture at because it's so ingrained in what we're talking about already right like when we say like oh it was the sheriff it was the principal of the school it was the english teacher that connects with his students it's like that is so clearly the call is coming from inside the building within horror and like so clearly supposed to be gesturing at this larger idea about, you know, American history or about the difference between uh, what suburbia claims to be and what it is and the effect that that has on subsequent generations that it, we can do more interesting things, right? Like we can go, we can go past that immediately and into this other discussion because we have all of that, ingrained within the genre that we're playing with and so this this really does feel like a like a post x movie in the sense that it's like it's very much a commentary on the horror thriller genre at the same time as it contributes to it in my opinion and i think that like it's difficult to argue that that's not the case because of how textual it is um yeah oh you nailed it (laughs) uh let's talk about the point frankly why, um, Gary, your point was so good, you killed the disc- No, Here's creating guys on Twitter to argue against when really yeah, it's, he's 100% correct. Um, <laughs> we should talk about the um, the killer himself, I guess, right? Because he really is an interesting one. 
<laughs> like, yes. I think that, that if I have one criticism of this movie, it's that the final reasoning for why he's killing virgins makes a lot of thematic sense. Like, I think, I think <laughs> yeah. it's smart from a movie's theme perspective, but within the context of the movie, it is like one three-second monologue where he's like, mm-hmm. it's a stinking hypo- hypocritical world when people yeah. like you could have virginal daughters, so right. I'm going to kill the virgins. <laughs> and well, it was like... What? Yeah. <laughs> Why does he need to infiltrate this? T- Why does he need to infiltrate this town? Get hired at the school. Memorize T. S. Eliot. What? What is it? Just show up in town one day and start I mean, stabbing people. Fair, a guy like that definitely just memorized T. S. Eliot because he oh likes yeah, it. you know it's yeah, like, it's like, like writing. I think um, probably every serial killer. Has a favorite. Has a big T.S. Eliot, Eliot phase. He's reading proof rock. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> speaks to me. He's got remarkable penmanship with that knife, too, when he yes. uh, the the principal's like, virgin knot. And, uh, <laughs> like, if I, if, I, if I was like, okay, I'm going to write virgin knot on this person's head, I would start with the V, I get to the I, and I would fuck up the R. <laughs> I would just like, I would just lacerate <laughs> his face a bunch, and then I would. Uh, oh, I forgot the second uh, eye. Oh God! Oh, do I have space to <laughs> <laughs> squeegee, squeegee? Just um, white that, out. Yeah. That's an interesting point, Harry, because I I think that that the fact that he has such a short time in which to like provide exposition for his reasoning is why I have a hard time viewing a whole lot of this as like the textual story that that we've been calling up the whole time is like if he has that little time to explain why he's doing the thing and sort of like connect himself to the main plot. I'm not sure how well I can read. Oh, this is the reason. This is like, this is actually what, uh, you know, the subversive story that maybe the director and, and writers were trying to do, were trying to show us. If we don't get that, if we don't see that, like, I don't know how, if I can call something that small, strongly textual. I mean, not, this isn't like a bash against the movie, not saying that it's like poor form or anything. I think that it is a good movie. Just like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time reading uh, that as like, well, if it's given a four-second monologue, uh, how how much of the story am I supposed to like interpret that as? How much am I supposed to internalize that as? Well, there is also his backstory that after his mother was raped and gave birth to him, uh, she abused him for right. years and years. And so that was yeah. sort of like his training was that, oh, like I am responsible for the thing that my dad did. And therefore, these children are responsible for the thing that their parents did, right? Like that's mm. supposed to be the 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 place where this gets all murky for me is that like is that his fatal flaw mistake is that you shouldn't go like the children shouldn't be punished for the mistakes of the parents? And what I really like is that this movie may be postulating that that is not a mistake, right? Like I think that at the end of this movie, when she judo flips him out of the house, so that he gets impaled on that. Uh, that wouldn't spike. And then she covers up her father so that her, her dad can continue to be sort of venerated in the town as a hero instead of a rapist. I think that this is implying that like, Hey, maybe he was kind of right. Like maybe these kids really are benefiting from (laughs) and being shaped by the lies that their parents tell, which is a wild place to end up. But I kind of, I'm like coming around on it more and more because I kept trying to be like, okay, like in what way is this guy in the wrong? You know, and the the thing that he seems in the wrong is that well, stabbing the the virgins. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I I think that if he killed the if he killed the principal and he killed the uh, the sheriff, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Acab, you know, yeah, they're gone. Uh, But he did go after. 
I, and the then, scene yeah. stabbing people in that party is so uncomfortable. Like it's that brutal. is brutal. I didn't think they would. It's the, it's oh, like, that like, that like, was such shlink, a wild pick. Schlink, schlink sounds if, as he's yes, just going it's like, by. It's like they, yes. they had like a pumpkin or jello or something, and they were just like that. That foley work in that scene is so gross. It's so <laughs> we, good. We talked about this on uh, way back, way back. I think on uh, the Yojimbo episode, where it's like, oh, sharp objects really fuck people up in a really nasty yeah, way, it, it, and like it's real bad. It sucks. Ugh. When yeah, at, now the one thing this movie did uh, kind of wuss out a little bit. I needed to see. Uh, there's like one or two people for like plot elements that are murdered by knife. I needed to see during that scene one or two people we we saw during the film be the one stabbed because there are people that you notice there's like oh there's the slightly chubbier kid oh there's the nerdy kids in the closet there's this there's this other woman you saw earlier i need one or two of them to get it i need somebody of consequence not just random faces you know like give me just a did, little bit of kid, uh, did the kid with the frosted tips survive <laughs> you I mean her so. boyfriend yeah he hit no. under the, the covers ah. and lived i think oh, right yes. okay yes. yeah he, he was right. the one who did the the very funny i mean you see that in comedic films a lot where the guy sees somebody weird and then he yeah he does one of those <laughs> seeing that in a horror film is very good uh i like that quite a bit um yeah it's pretty hilarious i gotta be honest yeah. i think that like it's it's a crass line right but like i really love when he is having his sniping match in the classroom with the popular girl and he, he talks about how she slept with everybody in the school and he's like oh if, if that's true then then why are you trying to bang me so bad and how come we never have and he goes because i find experience attractive <laughs> i thought that, that was so funny like that's such a good diss and, and honest at the same time um yeah. but yeah i i don't disagree with that i think that like uh, I don't know who would who would have got it though because I think that all of those characters are sort of the honest ones, right? I mean, I guess maybe give give me an honest one getting it. That's that's yeah, the, those are, that's really the way to the film, you know. To be explicit that uh, that the boyfriend um, gets it in the end, he is stabbed. Jody's boyfriend is stabbed. He, he, oh, he dies. Does he die? I don't think he, it's. Explicit I mean, it doesn't show, but he, I mean, he, he must, has to, right? right? She like, kisses I, him while I he has the... that guy. Man, I hated that yeah. guy, but we can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no patience her, for toe suckers. Friend, I guess. Her gay friend gets it. Yeah, he super dies. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, Tim, yeah, Timmy, the the goth newspaper editor. Yeah, he got he got shoved in a locker. He had too many right. things. He, you can't he, be goth and gay a and a newspaper kid. You he's, have to choose one. He and said, so, yeah. he said like, so many words. Oh my god. He he's only on he screen so for fast. like a total of five minutes. But Christ, he has a whole book of dialogue. <laughs> so many fucking words he says. Anyway. A lot yeah. of tips too. Yeah, yeah. I was oh. so into it. Like when he showed up, and like I, it all of a sudden struck me that Brittany Murphy was doing the goth Bob, and she had a goth friend who was also like a big gossip. I was like, oh shit, this is a Misfits movie, and I was what? like, so there yeah. for it. But then it didn't really happen. Not really. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess on the note of the killer, I the the sort of. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I never feel content about a killer unless he's, he's killing authority Behind members only. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. I, I stepped on that. The, the sort of mixture of, I, you know, the, the sort of villainous monologuing at the end, like I, that didn't feel, that didn't feel super 
like over the top too lengthy it also didn't really double dip too much with what the rest of the movie like felt to me would it, like the the fact that we were yeah we're, we're in cherry falls this this small town built on lies and deceit and sexual assault and it has the color palette of a twilight movie and it's like it's very it's uh you know <laughs> it like it's very it's very moody it's people are very moody we go to um what's her name uh laura lee uh, uh yes thank you Laura Lee Sherman's house and like we we see before we're kind of re or formally reintroduced to to Jay Moore's character which Jay Moore by the way you know not a glamorous filmography and I again I don't know too much about him but like if there's one person that I could think of <laughs> from this time who was working just like hey we've got a really thankless role for you that listen if you just like lean into it and give it your all it could be it could be pretty sweet um jay moore would be my pick to pull it off i guess i mean i'm saying that having the benefit of hindsight of seeing this movie but yeah i don't know he he was chewing up the scenery and mm-hmm. you know the movie was better for it but like you know we, we go to, we go to laura lee's house and we see you know the space where where that character grew up in before where we see him donning the wig putting the makeup on i thought that was really nice that interplay of like yeah we're working within the mechanics of you know this this story and the the way that they chose to tell this story and that brings us to this point and you know if they wanted to i I think they would have there was enough within the environment of this movie that we had seen and been privy to that we had been kind of bathing in for the previous like 70 80 minutes where like yeah. if they wanted to say even less at the end they probably could have and we would have gotten the gist of it you know well, I, and I that scene in particular there. that you brought right. up where where he goes i think that's such a smart scene because it it really is is playing with and subverting expectations within the genre where like when when he went out to virginia or wherever to like to find that that house that had been abandoned and he goes into the basement i was immediately like oh this is a texas chainsaw massacre movie like oh Mm -hmm. this is a people under the stairs movie or like this is a um home the episode of x files (laughs) uh movie where like the whole idea is that like oh there's this old ancient backward family that sort of represents like anti-global sentiment or represents the like tension of uh global society intersecting with old school and like it is super not that right like it is in fact this this um group of people that were very much a part of the town's history that were excised from the town uh deliberately by the rest of the town and so like it really sets you up to believe that like oh this is going to be an alien force right like this is a family from outside coming in just to make it more explicit that like no this is something that like this is the real history of this town right and Mm -hmm. i think that like the ways in which this sort of formally implicates the town itself um works really well for me and it's the sort of thing that generates the tension i'm talking about where like it it's it's interesting to me that that the sheriff gets that tearful monologue where he sort of like apologizes for his rape uh or like the boyfriend kind of gets like a redemption arc where like he is pressuring Brittany Murphy into having sex but then when she wants to he he says like oh i want you to want it um all of those things happen i like again this is maybe too much to ask of the movie right but like I wonder if like even that tension is is sort of deliberate in the sense that we're we're supposed to be implicating everyone and everything into processes like these, right? And that's sort of like the point of making it as sort of literally incestuous as it is. Um but I think that like 
that is all just to say like regardless of where you fall in terms of the sort of like okay like who is being interrogated here what are the conclusions we're coming to i think it's like there is so much nuance and tension wherever you're reading lies that makes this movie really interesting to me right like because like the incest of it all (laughs) makes it all so complicated and messy and interesting i guess the incest Um, of it all I really, really like the brother character. Uh, I really love the the English teacher. I love that he's an English teacher. English teachers are freaks. I say that as someone who loves English teachers very much. Um, the scene, I think one of the greatest sort of like just constructed scenes in this movie is when he's got the sheriff in the chest and he gets uh, Jody to help him carry her dad into his house and then his like torture basement. And I, maybe my favorite, one of my favorite line readings of the whole movie is that when he throws the chest down the stairs and it smashes it up against the wall and Jody finally catches on and goes, what have you got in the chest? Just how brightly and uh, like openly, he's just like your dad. (laughs) So maybe mine, maybe my dad. It's, it's like stepbrothers in that moment, Mm -hmm. the way that he sells that line. It's so funny. That, that like the having seen the film kind of around the time it came out, the memory, the things that I remember the most is the biting of the toe, um, her landing on top of her dad, and the scene of Jay Moore in a dress and a wig running down the steps with an axe. Just brilliant. Everybody he, was rolling at that part. And he, he does, if I recall correctly, he's out of the wig at least uh, as he's doing his murdering of, of Jody's dad. And then within a few seconds, he's got the wig and whole getup back on as he's gotta running out of the house to chase yeah. her. Right. Really, cut to, he's really outside good. running and he's got the full guard back on. Really so there's a scene funny. they cut out where he's like, Oh shit, I got to get my, my <laughs> yeah. stuff back. Well, and, and even like there's even that, that scene where he is confronted mid dress by her boyfriend. And he's like, why are you in a robe? Why are you wearing makeup? And he, why are you wearing lipstick? And he's like, cause it makes me feel pretty. And then he just <laughs> stab him. Great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, we are nearly into what I would call the junk drawer, which is our final thoughts, sort of disconnected from other things, but things we wanted to give shout outs to. Um, Harry dropped a couple off the bat about the uh, English teacher, etc. Um, I want to I just want to give a quick shout out to the personalized plates in this movie. I didn't jot all of them down, but there were like a significant number of them. I believe the intro car, like the first car with the kid who's describing himself as an alien. Uh, and then maybe somebody else has one. I I, I regret not bringing, not jotting them down, but they did stick out. Uh, Cody's got his hand up. Did you notice any of them? Uh, sorry, none of the plates. I do remember that there were plates. Um, that what is a thought that I remember having while watching. Yeah, yep. Yeah, um, the the one that or the thing that I guess I wanted to call out, and a number of people brought up, just like how, how like this is a very you know it's a comp- competently to well made film. It flows really nicely, and so what else am I going to do but pull up the letterbox page and see? You know, okay, the editor was John F. Link. Um, he was the editor for a number of Arnie pictures, Predator, Commando, Stay Hungry, oh, um, the uh, Mighty Ducks 1 and 2 uh, he was the editor for, previous episode, The King of Marvin Gardens, and he was the editor for <laughs> Die Hard. So, the dude who edited Predator edited The King of Marvin Gardens and Cherry Falls? That's correct, yes. Uh, John F. Link. <laughs> when you're a true professional, you're not you're not confined by genre. You're not exactly. confined by tone. <laughs> you can do what you can do whatever you want. That's right. Um, 
Um, speaking of editing, we should shout out um, the unbelievable early 2000s effects in this movie. I can't believe that we haven't brought them up already, but like the slow-mo that goes on in this movie is wild. Uh, the like, fast cut. How, how they, how the, yeah, and the slow-mo during the um, flashback scenes. Yes. Yeah. It's very distinctive yeah. of that era. It's all very like low frame rate and yet incredibly slow motion. You know, like there's that mm-hmm. shot where uh, the deputy realizes that the sheriff has been killed and she does this like like platoon, <gasps> like almost drops to her knees and looks up in the sky. And it's just like it's like four frames per second. But for like six seconds, it's really so weird. It It looks dated in a good way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I dig it. Um, Audrey, were there any shout outs you had? Any any little points you wanted to bring um, up? I didn't get I didn't dig too far into finding anything uh particularly interesting about who did the music, but there is some pretty excellent like riffs in there. I didn't I don't recall a lot of like original songs or anything no. queued up that might maybe that I feel like there's just too many songs about sex that they would all be too on the nose. <laughs> um but I remember the the music being pretty rad. It I fits. Guess. Yeah. It fits the tone of the movie. Um, I guess I'd leave the door open one last time to Aaron and Cody yeah. before we start, or I guess the whole group oh, before sorry. we start yeah. uh, calling it final segment. <laughs> Not I you, just Harry. wanted to shout out um, the, just the like, it, I think it's another perfect encapsulation of what this movie is all about. The fact that like the Cherry Falls police patch on the side of the police coats is like very, very clearly a flaccid penis where the mm-hmm. falls is the dick and then the uh, the cherries are the balls. It's great. Yeah. It's just like extremely, this movie knows what it's about. When you see like tactile things like that in a film, you're like, what happened to that? Like, is that shirt in Michael yeah. Bean's closet? Like who... Does it exist somewhere? Did it end up at the Goodwill? Yeah, somebody (laughs) bought it on eBay. Probably a Goodwill. Just there's, there's, you know, there's some kid just walking around with a dick and balls. Cherry Falls Police Department. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. I think that's the end of our actual discussion proper. Uh, we have one final segment to get into. Audrey, do you have a few more minutes to stick around for uh, for Cody's noties? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and we prepped you on the melody, but uh, Harry will count us in. It's literally just yes. the sister-sister theme, but with the words Cody's noties. And you cannot do it wrong. You can do anything you want, and it's going to be right. But uh, I'll let Air, or excuse me, Harry uh, do, the, do the actual ringing in. Thank you, Jason. Mm-hmm. This is the segment that we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's noties. There you go. That's wow. perfect. Yeah, indeed perfect. Honestly, that introduction sounded like it could have been a song by the Poontang clan. Uh, oh shout out to the God. movie we just talked about. Um, but yeah, thank you, everybody, uh, uh, for that. Um, I, uh, bef- <laughs> prior to recording, I know Jason really set this up uh, to be something, you know, to be feared. You know, this this dastardly difficult segment with with trivia that nobody knows. Uh, but today we are actually going to do uh, a, a rendition of Trilibs, which for those who aren't in the know, it is our attempt at recreating the world famous game known as Mad Libs, which you don't need me to describe, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, it's the game where you take a story that has some holes in it that need to be filled with parts of speech. You don't really know 
what story or, or, you know, components those words are going towards. So by the end of it, you have sort of an off kilter story to share with your friends and family and loved ones. And so what I've done is I've put together a, a story um, somewhat inspired by the film we just finished talking about, but uh, a bit lighter. I sidestepped around some of the heavier parts. You're welcome for that. And so what I'll do is in the order of um, the randomly generated order of Aaron, Harry, Audrey, and Jason, and then just on a loop for as long as we need to, I will ask y'all for a particular thing. You will um, uh, verbalize what that thing is. And then by the end of it, we'll have uh, something nice to share with the folks who may be listening. Does that sound okay? I love Mad Libs. Oh, Always fun. you are in These for a treat then, probably. Yeah. Um, so starting <laughs> with starting with Aaron. Aaron, from you, could I get a type of fruit? Sort of a weird one to start with, but that's uh, pineapple. Nice. Pineapple. pineapple. Um, excellent. Harry, from you, can I get a, a season? One of the seasons. Summer, baby. The best uh, one. When the Summer, comma, baby. Number one. Nice. <laughs> Um, and then Audrey, from you, could I please get a name? Chantrell. Ooh. Oh, mercy. That is extremely good. Let's, and I'm Takes doing... two hands to type that one out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I gotta do the find and replace because this is spoilers. This is gonna pop up in a few places. Uh-oh. Um, so that's... <laughs> why, uh-oh. Uh, but, but, uh, but uh-oh. Uh, perfect. So we've got that under control now we're going to go to jason and from you could i please get a noun fart <laughs> can you uh, make daddy your ringtone because i think that would be really excellent that would be pretty for a text tone if it's just like blank daddy it'd be pretty uh, funny daddy. <laughs> coincidentally enough um aaron from you I, I, i'm yeah. gonna need a, a, a type of relative <laughs> jason you. I don't think I as that I, as that <laughs> not father. I don't want to see dad. Okay, you, 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 you can I get to... one practice run right now to see yeah. it? Just so if I uh, something something, daddy. That's know, close. That's, that's close. Unless you want, well, yeah. yeah. Yep. I think that works. Uh, or or Jason yeah, I could, just drop in the clip. Yeah, I could gesture to Jason. It. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, as, we'll do All a the live, as they say. Um, perfect. Uh, Harry, from you, could I please get a type of occupation? Oh, uh, yes, a glass blower. Something, you know what? Weirdly hmm. enough, I feel like we've used that one before. I think I've used glass blower before. Harry's always <laughs> fucking talking about glass blowing. I don't get it. He's he's, he's obsessed. <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, it, hey, maybe maybe it'll, it's something that'll be answered by this trilibs, but I'm not betting on it. Uh, next up, I believe we are at Audrey. And actually, Audrey, from you, could I get another name? Arnold. Great choice. Amazing choice. That is a fantastic choice. I'm going to keep talking about how good of a choice it is because I have to, again, fill that in in a, in a few places. Perfect. Uh, Aaron, over to you. Or no, not over to you. It's actually no. Jason. Yeah, don't deny me my Jason. right. Uh, yeah, I made eye contact with you um, digitally, virtually. Jason, uh, from you, could I please get the name of a previous Trilove guest? Oh, well, let's go for Nick Ransbottom. Excellent. And will he be pleased that you chose him for this based on the scenario that is... I, ho- gonna, I hope uh, I hope it's the most embarrassing thing you could put him in. 
uh, it could be worse. Um, again, spoilers, but uh, no, I think he, he's in good shape. Uh, for for this story. Um, let's see. Now over to Aaron. Aaron, from you, a number. Four. Excellent. Uh, yep. Harry, from you, an adjective, please. Disappointing. Interesting. Uh, where did that one come from, Harry? Uh, you, any idea where you landed on that? He oh, caught his reflection in the window nearby. Oh. Okay, I forgot to turn my monitor on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Uh, Audrey, from you, could I please get an emotion? And then after that, could you please um, tell me uh, an emotion for this game? Um, an emotion is confused. Nice. An emotion and then confused. another emotion. Uh, sorry, I was just joking. Confused works for me. I was. Uh, I. I in, again. More explicitly, like nice it won't happen cool. in this game. But in the past, I'd be like, "Hey, Jason, um, from you, could I please get a type of drug?" And then after that, uh, could you please uh, tell me a, a kind of drug for for the trilips and and everybody's in stitches, um, obviously. Yeah, Cody's uh, so funny. So funny. I am, I'm always saying that about me. Uh, Jason, could I please get a noun from you? I can't do fart again, can I? Uh, is there anything else in the soundboard that would fit? Um, Queef. Is a doorbell? Is a, is a buzzer? <laughs> oh, oh, wait. You could, oh, wait. You could go with Audrey's suggestion. Daddy. Is that? I already did um, that. I know, I know. I'm going to go for uh, Chime. Sure. I don't know. All right. A little less Excellent. Yeah. That's this awesome. isn't a game you can be right or wrong at. You can be funny or not funny, and I'm not going to be funny. I've been wrong before. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> Harry has somehow failed the Mad Libs I have. <laughs> I, I did it with my husband once, and he would be like, oh, pennies. I'm like, no, you're supposed to say balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're supposed to say dick for all of them. Uh, dick and condom and every single, <laughs> right. every single one. Uh, it's the DC not even rule. matching dick, what is asked for. Was uh, like for an adjective? I don't... Yeah, uh, well, uh, well, yeah, Aaron, um, uh, not an adjective. Actually, a verb uh, uh, from you this time, please. Thank you. Uh, jump. Excellent. Uh, Harry, a verb. Swim. Excellent. And let's see. Now, um, Audrey, uh, maybe this will be us learning a little bit more about you and your and your taste. But from you, I'm going to need the name of a band or musical artist. Annie Lennox. <laughs> let's go. You Hell yeah. That man. That is a great fit. Uh, Jason, a type of furniture. Shay's Lounge. Ooh. Going high class. Good fainting couch. Oh, yeah. That's. Hey, Jason, have you gotten to the, the National album where they uh, talk about fainting chairs? Uh, which one's that? Uh, I won't spoil it for you. You'll find okay. it eventually. Oh, Boxer um, 15 today. Did you see that? Yes. I yeah. listened to it for that uh, reason. I'm all very excited. Yeah. That's. I feel a certain way about it. Do you feel a certain way about it? We're talking about the national. I feel a certain way about it. What are we doing? Yeah. Hey, maybe he's so easy to find because he's always hanging out on his fainting couch. National mm, jokes. What's that's going really, on? Right? It's a, it's a fainting in chair. jokes for but, national fans, I guess. I yep. wasn't listening. Uh, Sorry. We just shout it to the national. Uh, Aaron, from you, could I please get a type of vehicle? Uh, Toyota Tercel. My first. My first. No. 
Now, ki- kind of like Harry's previous answer, I feel like you've mentioned Toyota Tercels in this game. And I, driving a I've already etched it in stone. I've already etched it in stone. That's it's, fine. It's that's fine. part of the cards, uh, etc. That's what. And I, I thought of that too, Jason. And I was like, that's maybe one that I either asked to spell or said out loud. I'm not sure how to spell this, so I'm just going to sound it out so I can read it later. And I tell you what, I did that this time. Um, but let it be known, I did not ask how to spell it because I, I don't care enough. Um, but, uh, but I did etch in Toyota Tercel. So thank you for that, Aaron. Harry, from you, could I please uh, get a, a subject, uh, you know, a school subject, a subject you might um, have a class about in school? Sex ed. <laughs> Not in my town. I have no idea why that would be on your mind, but you know, we'll roll with it for the purpose of this. Oh, wait, Jason, could, could I get a clean read of that? What would you say? <clears throat> I was... homeschooled <laughs> yeah you were <laughs> yeah you were um hey audrey from you could i please get the name of an actor the name of an actor greg kinnear another, who would he have played in this movie choice. if you put him in if you put him in cherry falls who would he have been? would he have been the dad the the sheriff yeah the sheriff yeah probably. i think that would be yeah. the easy pick right Maybe he would have been the I mean, split. Not to say he couldn't play yeah. the Jay Moore character. I, I feel like he would have been a new character and he would have been the mayor. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. The mayor was yeah. charismatic. Yeah. I mean, like, continuing the themes, he was also in on the incident from the 70s, right? Oh, man. He was also I would there. really love a Greg Kinnear scene where he just is getting up in the sheriff's business about solving this case. He's like, <laughs> God damn it, midterms are coming up or whatever. And like, that would be a really good scene. The Cherry Falls constituency must reelect us. Yeah, exactly. I'm supposed to be tough on crime. Uh, hey, Trial of a Movie Podcast, also a podcast about local fictional politics. Uh, Jason, from you, could I please get an adjective? Um, drunk. We're near the end. I'm drunk. Sorry. Perfect. No, yeah, no. Hey, that's a good one. Um, drunk, 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 drunk. And that brings us back to Aaron for what I believe is our final one, unless I've missed something, in which case that'll be a fun thing for us to, to ad-lib on the fly. But Aaron, from you, could I please get the name of a movie? Uh, just based on the posters behind you, Chicken Run. God. Hey, you know what? Good pick. Yep. Chicken I mean, Run Chicken Run's the movie. only Mel Gibson movie I've ever seen. It's a Mel Gibson. <sighs> I haven't yeah, seen it for wait. 15 years. One How did you manage to avoid every time. Mel Gibson movie? <laughs> well, he's you got the, Gallipoli. He's, I mean, it's uh, amazing. No, I, it's great for you. Yeah, I'm pointing at him. He's He's that. That He's guy. that chicken? He's that fellow? Yeah. Okay. The, wow. or the, yeah. Whatever, you know, whatever you call male chickens, you know, Google it. Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, I believe that concludes our uh, blank filling in um, fiesta. So thank you for joining for that. I am now uh, going to to take the time to read through this uh, this hopefully masterpiece that we've created. So without further ado, I present to you all Trilibs Small Town Murders. <clears throat> Not so long ago, in the town of Pineapple Summers, there was a high schooler named Chantrell. Uh, did I did I read? It was it was Chantrell, right? I, Chantrell. Chantrell, perfect. Okay, thank you. Um, I, it's it occupies a lot of spaces, so I want to make sure I'm getting it absolutely correct to match the reading. Not only did Chantrell have to contend with all the the farts that came with being a student, but they also had to deal with their. Dad.
being the town glassblower. Chantrell had a best friend named Arnold who was in love with Nick Ransbottom. Life was as normal as it could be for Chantrell until the killings began. Over the course of a week, four students were murdered by an unknown assailant. The killer's methods were disappointing, to say the least, and the townspeople were in a state of confusion. Eventually, it was determined that the victims all had one thing in common. They had never experienced the act of having chime. Thus, in order to be safe from being jumped, the student body decided to throw a party wherein everyone in attendance would swim each other's brains out. The party was a success. Uh, an, art, an Annie Lennox-centric playlist helped people get into the proper mood, and there were plenty of Shea lounges to go around. Um, is that the plural form of Shea lounge? Shea's lounge? You know what? We're going to roll with it. Chantrell was late to the party as they had to take their Toyota Tercel, and on the way, they were attacked by the assailant. Chantrell was able to fend off the attacker long enough for the police to arrive. They apprehended the, the culprit, who turned out to be the school's sex ed teacher, who bore a, a striking resemblance to Greg Kinnear, funnily enough. Meanwhile, the events of the party had left the party goers feeling drunk. That fits, but they weren't quite ready to go home. Luckily, Arnold had brought along a copy of Chicken Run, which the students watched until the sun came up and cast a new day's light upon their small town. The end. Wow. How well, did this, very how did this end up together. so so pleasantly? Yeah. A short hey, story called, yeah. Wait a minute. I think every single uh, Trilibs ends with them all watching a movie, doesn't it? Yeah. Is that, a, that is, that yeah, is the, the yes. best. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good. Harry good figuring it out after two years. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to figure that out. I see. It's yeah. like it's just like Cherry Falls. I get it now. You like, get it I, now. I get why I get the joke. Well, you know you how don't remember the, the, the you don't remember the trilibs we did for I think it was two o four six where where Tony Long just like ends his emotional romantic journey watching I forget what movie it was but he's just like on the train yeah. in his compartment watching a movie. That's famously how the movie ends as well. Right, two o four six, the second to third best uh, Wong Kar Wai. You mean so. that mid Wong Kar Wai movie? Thank you Stop so much, it. Audrey, for being here for a, a wonderful edition of Try Love and a wonderful edition of Cody's Noties. Uh, let us know where, or sorry, tell listeners where people can find you, where they should check you out. Plug your pluggables here. Um. Okay. Uh, Twitter. I'm at Schmadri, which is S C H M, Audrey Schmadri. And uh, I tend to write for Movie John, which is a uh, a blog a website based out of uh, Philadelphia that also has a print zine. And um, sometimes I just kind of ask to be a part of other things too, and some people let me like this. <laughs> I was just like when I saw that Kelly Cranston, I was like, I'm gonna do it. I just do that bold thing where I'm like, so glad you did. No, l- listen, listeners, take take this lesson from Audrey. Just. Just email us. Honestly, <laughs> you don't seem like an asshole. You'll probably be. You're, you're almost certainly more intelligent than all of us. Just, <laughs> I promise <laughs> you. Statistically, yeah. Statistically right. speaking, yeah. Uh, 175 episodes, and we have to find somebody smarter than us. Um, thank you so much for for joining, Audrey. We hope you'll come back. Uh, take a look at the calendar. Let us know what else you want, you want to talk about, and we'll figure it out. Um, for now, listener, uh, you should check us out on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon it itself at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. That's where you can find the calendar of showings. Uh, there are a number of series going on right now. I believe the Godzilla series is still continuing through the end of the year, or excuse me, end of the month. Jesus, can you imagine a year of Godzilla movies? 
Um, there is also the Agnes Varda series uh, still continuing. And then June through August, we've got Nick Cage National Treasure playing at the trial. And of course, like this uh, movie was like uh, Cherry Falls, uh, occasional trash film debauchery, um, sound unseen, a bunch of other great programming that's going on at the trial that we don't even talk about. Uh, can you imagine that? We don't even cover it all, but you can find it all at trialon.org. Uh, and my name uh, is Jason Daphnis. I help make this show. You can find little old me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Yeah, big old you. I think you've got you've hey. been putting in the biking gains. You got legs of steel, brother. Giant ass. <laughs> also yes. Uh, Audrey, thanks so much. Um, and yeah. hey, I want to if you want to be like Audrey, definitely reach out to us via email. I will certainly not have eyes on the inbox or any inbox. <laughs> it, arguably not even it is, my own. Uh, it is embarrassing how many messages we've missed through from so many people through that Twitter. So we're keeping a better eye on it. Yeah, um, we're just trying our best. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Well, I think that I'm primarily to blame for that because the thing that happens is that both Jason and I periodically post on the trial of account. But for some reason, I'm derelict in all other responsibilities. So when I see somebody has DM'd us, I will click on the DM to read it, which makes the notification go away. But I will not respond because I get scared. And then it's invisible uh, to so the rest of us. I also don't. Yeah, I also don't tell Jason about it. Uh, so <laughs> if we've missed a DM, it's almost certainly because of me. So I apologize to everybody. You can direct hate mail to Shadaki Harry at Twitter. Thank you. My name is Aaron, uh, and unlike Carrie, nothing is ever my fault. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. So, is this goodbye or goodnight? Pick one. <laughs>